Our reading this morning is from Acts 9, uh, starting at verse 1. If you're reading from the Church Bibles, it's on page 1102. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Street Street, Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord... Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. 
he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thank you. Thank you for those who are joining online. Um, just to say my personal thanks to those of you who joined me yesterday for my ordination uh, and for your generous welcome into this church. Um, thank you, Rosemary, for reading so beautifully. I want to speak about uh, the difference knowing God's make makes and talk about Saul's conversion. Now, it's hard to come to a passage like this that's so familiar and so well known without tripping over um, all sorts of cliches, all sorts of preconceived ideas. Um, many people have said, for instance, they've had a Damascus Road experience. That phrase has entered the vocabulary, a radical change of heart. Uh, uh, nowadays, we'd say doing a 180. Uh, Emperor Constantine, Abraham Lincoln, George Orwell, Rosa Parks, F.W. de Klerk have all said that at some point in their life they have had a Damascus Road experience that caused them to change entirely their view. Seeing the light. This is also a phrase that has entered common parlance. Changing, having a complete change of mind a mind open to some new truth, uh, and that also has entered the vocabulary such that most people have forgotten or maybe never even knew where the phrase came from. But actually, this story also records the day that the world changed, that our world changed forever. Uh, short of the resurrection of Christ, Paul's conversion and his subsequent life and writings probably contributed more to Christian thought and Western ideas, Western civilization, than any of the classical writers, any of the uh, philosophers all the way from Aristotle to Nietzsche. Whatever revisionist historians might want to make of Paul, Saul, he entered a world where racism, sexism, and slavery were the norm. It was dominated by the thoughts of Plato and Aristotle, Aristotle who said, I thank fortune that I'm a human, not a beast, that I am a man, not a woman, that I am a Greek, not a barbarian. And this was echoed by the, uh, by, um, by the Saul and the learned uh, scribes of Israel, when they would say, also an echo, I thank God 
that I'm not a Gentile, that I'm not a woman, and I'm not a slave. And that pharisaical prayer was said every day. And Paul would have said that prayer every day. But when he left this world, he left us with this thought. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. Wow. Now that really is doing a 180. I think you'd have me. And that thought has shaped our world. However, it's important not to miss that this is a personal story. Uh, this is not just a random story of some enlightenment. It's a story of someone who didn't just see the light, I get a better philosophy, a better idea, but actually he met with the light. The light, capital T, capital L, the light of the world, Jesus. And since it's my first day in the job, so to speak, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about the day that I met the light, to tell you something of my story, my conversion. Uh, by the way, not the most important day in the history of civilization, but it was the most important day in my life. <laughs> so we're going to look at Saul's conversion. Saul was zealous and confident. Saul was stopped in his tracks. Saul was blinded by the light. Saul needed help to see, and Saul met with God. So Saul's conversion. He was zealous and confident. We're introduced to Saul a couple of chapters earlier, actually, when he's acting as the cloakroom attendant for those people who are stoning Stephen, uh, one of the early Christian leaders and the first martyr in the Christian church. And then again, we see him in chapter 8, when he's dragging Christians, literally dragging Christians out of their homes in Jerusalem and putting them on trial for their beliefs. And then here in chapter 9, we read in the first verse, Meanwhile, Saul was still, still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He is zealous. Verse 2, and now we see he's chasing the Christians up country who are fleeing Jerusalem right up into Syria to Damascus. And he's also dragging them back for trial. He is zealous. He's not faking it. He's confident in his standing. He says later in his writings, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. I studied under Gamaliel. He's confident in his standing. And he's confident in his faith. I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Saul was a natural-born Hebrew, and Mark was a natural-born atheist. Zealous and confident. I grew up in a, uh, a home with no religion, no church, uh, believed of not as a child. Uh, uh, my favorite TV program was The Ascent of Man, the, I don't know if anybody remembers that, by Dr. Bronowski, the, uh, you know, he presented an amazing scientific humanist view of the world and of civilization. Uh, my favorite book was actually my brother's book, my older brother Glenn, who some of you might have met yesterday. Uh, it was Scouting for Boys. 
So uh, this was a book that told all those tales of wonderful things that the scouts got up to. Um, the problem for me was when it came, came old enough to join the scouts, it also meant going to church, and that was never going to happen. So instead, I joined the Woodcraft folk. Has anybody heard of the Woodcraft folk? Well, it's a humanist equivalent to the Scouts and the Boys Brigade, etc. And so, you know, I, now looking back, I call it the, uh, the Communist Youth, which is probably a little unfair. But the kind of people who came and taught us were not ex-army people, but people who'd volunteered in the Spanish uh, Civil War. And so I was a natural born atheist. I used to argue with my best friend Trina as we walked home from school. She was a devout Christian and I used to give her a hard time. Saul was then stopped in his tracks. Tim Keller, um, the American preacher says, you need two things to make people seek. The first is that something has to cut across their self-sufficiency. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. Saul was stopped in his tracks. And at the age of nine, my father um, died a tragic um, death. And thereafter, I was stopped in my tracks. And rather than being a carefree young boy, I became very serious, very studious, very stoical. If you don't have any faith, what do you fall back on? Stoicism. And also I was in, became intolerant of childishness of, the, of my schoolmates around me who were still carefree and really messing around in life. I am still a bit intolerant of childishness. So pity my poor children, Hannah and Lily, as they grew up. Hannah, don't be so childish. But Daddy, I'm only three, she would say. <laughs> it was a difficult time for me. And then Saul heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? During this time, I doubled down on my atheism. Um, you know, I was pretty smart at school. I was pretty much top of the class in everything. That's, I mean, it's hard to believe I was smart nowadays, I know. Uh, but uh, I didn't go to a very good school, so it, <laughs> being top of the class wasn't that difficult. Uh, I was pretty much top of the class in everything apart from RE, uh, religious studies. And guess who was top of the class in religious studies? Well, Trina was, so. So I made it my mission to become top of the class in religious studies as well, and, and I did. I became top of the class. So I didn't exactly persecute anybody, but I did sort of persecute Trina a little bit. Uh, another random story was one day, uh, my friend Adrian and I decided we'd go to the local Sunday school, um, and we, we thought, well, we've got to get through this somehow, so we picked a big bag of plums from a damson tree in, a, in our garden. We took them with us, and after a while it was still boring, even eating the plums, so we thought we'd make some sport with the pips, and we started throwing the people around the room. 
Look, I'm, uh, I'm not saying it was, um, it was Adrian, but I know it wasn't me. But one of those pips hit the person who was uh, leading the Sunday school that day. And um, needless to say, that was, our last, that was our last day at Sunday school. Um, so that's about as far as my persecution of uh, Christians went. Uh, but I nevertheless was still firm and solid in uh, my atheism. And then Saul saw the light. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. What a strange sentence. Who are you, my liege, my superior, my king? He bows the knee to someone and yet has to ask, who are you? So he gave allegiance to this superior power without knowing who he was. And then he hears the words, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Well, he wasn't expecting that, was he? Keller again. The second thing we need to be able to start seeking is that we come to see that the world cannot help us. We come to see that the world cannot help us. Despite my confidence in my faith, if you like, in science, I realized that science didn't have all the answers. I was experiencing a fear of death at that time as a young man. I was having sleepless nights, desperately um, unhappy. And yet with no concept of a God, uh, in and thinking that there might be out there beyond us in, this, in the universe, a, a parallel universe, a big computer in the sky. I don't know what. I had no concept of God, but I understood science. One night in desperation in my bedroom, I cried out. And to this day, I remember the exact words I said. I said, if, anything, if there's anything out there, I want to be on your side. Immediately I said those words, peace came on me, such as I had not experienced since my father had died. Incredible peace, I lay down on my bed and went straight to sleep. Well, I wasn't expecting that, I can tell you. I was looking for new ideas, I was not expecting something to happen to me. To be honest, and frankly, I'd have been less surprised if an alien spaceship had landed in the garden. So, on that day I said, Lord, whatever you are, you've got my attention. Saul nevertheless needed help and instruction. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. I also was blind and I began to search. And so Saul is led into Damascus, where a reluctant Ananias meets him at Judas' house on Straight Street. Now, at this point, I almost think, Luke, are you kidding? The Jews' house on Straight Street. How conventional is that? How mainstream is that? I was invited to a Christian youth meeting by Trina. 
even though I was seeking, I'd have been happier seek, looking into Buddhism or transcendental meditation or going to a UFO conference or something like that. In those days, I wore a long denim coat almost to the floor with a big um, sheepskin collar and a leather hat. It was, it was the early 70s after all. It was the, <laughs> the time of love and peace. Uh, and I wore the uniform of the anti-establishment. So to be invited to a Christian youth meeting, a church, and this is not, this is not Hillsongs or Soul Survivor, something cool like that. This was in a little coal mining town in the northeast. It's actually the town where Billy Elliot, the movie, was filmed. It's dirt poor, it's uncool, and it was full of sad-looking nerds that looked altogether like a bunch of losers. Christian youth. It's, a, it's an oxymoron, I thought. But you know, I recognized that those people had something. In their poverty and uh, uncoolness, in their nerdishness, they had something, and I wanted it. Saul meets with God. He prays in his fast, he's earnest, and so was I. And Ananias prays for him. His sight is restored, he is filled with the Spirit, he is baptized, he confesses, Jesus is Lord. On maybe the second or third week of going to that youth meeting, I, I chose to give my life to God. Like Saul, I said, Lord, you are Jesus. And I prayed a simple prayer to God that just a few weeks before, I didn't even believe in. I didn't even believe there was a God, and now I am a few weeks later praying to him and calling him Lord. And that night, the same peace that I'd experienced in my bedroom some weeks before, it became mine. That peace became mine as I opened my life to the Holy Spirit. God changed everything. On my school blazer, I put a badge. Remember the days of hippiness? We, we all wore badges back then. I had a badge on my school blazer that said, One way, Jesus Christ. And uh, on my leather hat, I fashioned out of a piece of tin foil and some letter set. Does anybody remember letter set? I made a little badge, actually a big badge, that said, God is love. And that was on the front of my leather hat. God changed everything for me, and he still does. Why, when I should be enjoying retirement, am I volunteering for ordination into the Church of England, into the establishment, straight street, <laughs> working on Sundays, no weekends off, no pay. In fact, I'm paying to be a member. God has changed everything in my life. At once, Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And so too did I. I would go up to people and say, there is a God. I believe in him. And you know what? I wasn't surprised the atheists like my family. You know, I wasn't surprised at their reaction. They just didn't get it. What? God? Forget it. 
But I was, the biggest surprise was when I would go up to people and say, there is a God. And people would say, oh yes, I believe there's a God. But. And the but was either they didn't follow him, believed there was a God but didn't follow him, agnostic. Or that their faith wasn't all-consuming. It was a nominal faith. They might go to church, but their church was like, like Saul, following in the traditions of their ancestors. That was the biggest surprise to me. And it still is today. And so, really just a challenge to you. If you're here today and you can't say that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my all-consuming passion, can't with confidence say that you know that you're not afraid of death and of eternity, then I'd say don't leave today until you speak to somebody. Don't leave today until you've signed up for the Alpha course. And you know, it is possible, especially in, in a church on Straight Street, the Church of England, it is possible to come week by week and to only be zealous for the traditions of our forefathers. And so I would like us all to question, have we met with God? Have we met with the light? And again, if you can't answer that question honestly, do come along to Alpha starting, I think, on the 6th of October. We'd love to see you there. Thank you, and thank you for welcoming me to St. Michael's.